been a little uh, intense. It's been some doom and gloom in this series so far, and that's because we're talking about pain, we're talking about suffering, and that's not going to change really, but I figured if we change that video, we could at least get excited about the pain and suffering and maybe trick ourselves into being like, yeah, bring it on. I want more pain. I want more suffering, especially if it comes with a jazzy little tune like that. We are continuing on in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 25 today, and we're really kind of riffing off of in the next couple of weeks. We're kind of a series within a series of what it looks like to engage culture for Christ. And we're basically, everything that Peter is saying this week, next week, possibly the week after that, depending on how long it takes us to get through it, is what he stated at the end of the last verse that we went over last week. And that is, you are loved. He calls us beloved. You are loved. You are alien. There's a reason you don't feel at home here. It's because this place is not your home. He calls us exiles. He calls us sojourners. And you are out of place. And so over the next couple of weeks, while we are out of place, while we are here, we will see that we're called to live differently from the world so that when they look at our lives, they don't see a bunch of brokenness. Or when they do see brokenness, they see people that rely on Jesus to fix and mend and mold that brokenness. But when they look at our lives, they would say, I went to point their life out because I wanted to find evil in their lives. I wanted to find hypocrisy in their lives. I wanted to call out sin. I wanted to call out where they were not actually about the words that came out of their mouth that they said they were about. And instead, what I found was that these Christians, they live excellently. These Christians, they live honorably. They live righteously. They live well. And you can take the Greek here and you can basically translate that to say, live beautifully. And so today we're going to learn how to live beautifully within a broken government. And I'm sure I'm going to make a lot of you very upset there. It'll be all right. We'll get through it together. We will talk about how we live beautifully under bad bosses and rough employment. We'll talk about how we live beautifully as Jesus lived beautifully. So when it comes to the government, when it comes to living beautifully under the government and under the authority of the government, there, there has been some times in my life where I wasn't living so beautifully. I was living more fast and furiously. Um, particularly um, in this one speeding ticket scenario. Um, I was, I just graduated high school. I was registering to be, uh, to go to a college about 45 minutes away. Um, as a responsible 18-year-old who was going into college to try to learn how to take over the world, I waited until the last minute to do so. It was actually the last day I could get my transcript in. Um, also because I was so responsible, I waited until the last possible moment for me to go register to get into this college. And so when I showed up to the college because I was so responsible, I didn't realize you had to have something called a transcript. They don't just take your word that you graduated high school. That was crazy to me. Like, no, I, I graduated. You can just look that up on Google, right? Uh, they couldn't. So I had to drive as fast as I could to my high school that was going to be closing within an hour. I knew if I got there in 45 minutes, I might be cutting it close. So I should do my best to get there in 30 minutes. 
I took off down the highway. It was George Bush Tollway. It's a nicer, faster highway that you can just, basically it's a big shortcut. You just have to pay money to drive on it. And so I paid a lot of money to drive on it that day. I was in a 75, I was going 78. I thought I was good to go. I was just barely pushing it. No cop would pull me over. But the problem was I got to a section of the highway where it went from 75 to 55. And very conveniently, at this section where it goes from 75 to 55, there is an underpass that you drive underneath. And that underpass had a shadow, and that shadow had a cop on a motorcycle, and that motorcycle cop had a radar, and he saw me coming. And he said, that must be a college or a high school graduate going to get his transcript. And so he got me. And he pulled me over, and this is my first speeding ticket. I was deathly afraid of cops. I just thought they were going to arrest you for anything, okay? So uh, I pull over into the closest parking spot my Nissan Versa can find, which is the very back of a Lowe's. He comes over to the window. He says, sir, do you have your license and, and registration? I just grabbed everything in my glove box and handed it to him. License, registration, out-of-date insurance, a couple napkins from Chipotle. Do you want anything else? I got spoons in here. There's forks. I've got sporks as well. It's where those two go together. I was so nervous. It wasn't hard for me to honor the authority because I was terrified of the authority. My voice was cracking. This guy thinks I'm going through puberty. He's probably not even old enough to drive, and I'm shaking as I hand him my license, registration, and any other accessories I could find in that glove box. It was not very hard for me to live honorably under the authority that God had put in place on a local level in that police officer that day. But the problem is, in our lives, especially today, between Fox News and CNN and the political landscape that we live in, it sometimes gets confusing as to how we are to live honorably. And so today, our first point is be good under bad government, because it is not always crystal clear how we are to do that. So let's go ahead and dive in what Peter is writing to us as believers. He's saying, as citizens, this is how you should live. This is how you should, um, this is what your lifestyle should be like as you interact with the government that is over you. This is all about submission to authority. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And then here we have it, the very beginning of verse 13, what we want to hear as free Americans and what we want to hear as people that don't want to be led by government a lot of the time, depending on who's in office. Verse 13, be subject, submit, submit to every institution. Submit to what God has put into place. Peter says this here. Paul mirrors this in another account in Romans 13, where he says, God has put these people in place. The kings, the rulers, the emperors, these people are put into these places, instituted by God. And then Peter, he kind of makes it a little bit more clear. 
whether it be to the emperor as supreme, the emperor being on a national level. Submit yourself to the president. He even breaks it down on a local level or to governors as sent by him. Now that as sent by him, this is kind of the thing that catches all of us because it doesn't really matter now if we want to submit to the leadership, to the authorities in our lives. If these were just guys that won popularity contests, then yeah, that would be one thing, but these aren't. The Bible says it very clearly right here, as sent by him. And as Paul would say, put into place by God. So why do we do this? Why do we submit ourselves to the authority of the government on a national level, on a local level around us? Clear and simple, if you're a believer in this room, we do this because it is God's will. When people look at our lives, they should see people that live beautifully. They shouldn't see people that are rebellious, that are seeking out anarchy. They should see people that are living according to the law. So, We also have to keep in mind, this is not blind submission. There is a level in which we say, no, that is enough. But first, I think what we need to look at is how is it? How is it that we as believers living in a society under a government that we may not always agree with? And then in four years, when the next team gets in there, they do a lot of things that we agree with a little bit more, but we still don't agree with all of their things. And then in four more years or eight more years, and the other team gets in there and they do a lot of things that we agree with, but maybe not fully. How do we live under that? How do we honor the government? And I think it's pretty simple. I think we can overcomplicate this, but all in all, be a good citizen. Be a good citizen. If you're going to be honoring the government, be a good citizen. Pay your taxes, take part in government. You have a part to play. You have a voice. You have a say. Vote. Oppose anarchy and keep evil at bay. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking right now. There are people in office that I don't agree with, and you are absolutely entitled to that. That is true. There are a lot of people in office that I don't agree with, There are a lot of people in office I didn't agree with four years ago. There's a lot of people in office I don't agree with now. I think we're looking to human, fleshly, broken men, and we're trying to lift them up as gods, and they were never supposed to hold that place in our lives. No one could hold that place within society. We're looking at broken systems, and we're looking to them to make our lives whole. And so, as believers, we honor those men whether you voted for them or not. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to take the things that they say on TV and say, yeah, I'm behind this 100% if you're not. But we also don't need to put them on blast. We also don't need to slander them to our friends, our family, all over Facebook. I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. I'm not saying you can't speak the truth. But as believers, we speak the truth in love. But also we have to know that there is a limit. And there is a limit up into the point of sin. And so we honor our government. We honor the man that is in the Oval Office in the White House. We honor those at a local level. We honor our authorities unto the point of sin. You see, we submit ourselves to the government until it means we remove our submission from Jesus. You are a Christian, first and foremost, when you put your trust in Jesus to save you from your sin. You follow him. 
as you follow him, you follow government, you honor government until they want you to sin. And then you don't. And then you follow Jesus. And that's exactly what we see taking place in this early church. To all these young believers that Peter is writing to, they have been dispersed, they have been persecuted because they have honored the government up to a certain point until it came to sin. And that's kind of where this question comes in of, all right, well, Alex, what if they're not worthy? What if I look at Joe Biden and I say, he's not worthy? What if I look at Donald Trump and I say, he's not worthy? Or if I look at the next person that we're putting our hope in to be our political Messiah? We can look at all these men and we can point out many flaws and say, they are not worthy. And because they're not worthy, I'm not going to follow them. I'm not going to honor them. I'm not going to respect them. I'm not going to support them on whatever level of government you want to put this at. And to that, I would say this, that taken into context, to whom Peter is writing and under what leadership Peter is writing under. You see, Peter is writing under the government leadership of the Caesar, of the emperor Nero. Now, Nero, um, if you've ever heard the term Rome is burning, it's because of this knucklehead. Uh, He decided to have a party. He got a little tipsy. Everybody in the club got tipsy that night. Um, He uh, drank a little too much and got a little arsonist flare in him. And then he, in a drunken stupor, accidentally burnt down half the city of Rome. One of the largest burnings in a city ever recorded. And this guy needed to get out of it. And so what does he do? He says, ah, there's all these pesky Christians popping up, causing me issues. Let's blame them. And so then he sends out his guard and they start to round up all the Christians because it wasn't the drunken Nero that started the fire. It was these Christians that are trying to oppose government. And then he realized this was a good scapegoat. You know, I can start to do something with this. And so he, uh, he got a new hobby and his new hobby was chariot racing, which is just basically NASCAR way back in the day. Okay. And so they're chariot racing all day. He's excited about it. And so he thinks, you know, what would make this even better chariot racing at night. There's only one issue here. The issue is that I can't see these chariots in this sweet track that I built. And so, you know what? Let me get creative here. All these Christians that we've rounded up, let's put stakes all around this track. Let's hoist these Christians and tie them up on those stakes. And then let's cover them in tar and pitch. And then let's light them on fire. That is the leadership that Peter is writing to these believers under. Think about that. Think about the leadership that Peter was under when they took his king and they hung him on a cross for a crime he didn't commit. He's under Nero. He's been under Pontius Pilate. These weren't good men, but even still, they were men that were put there by God to achieve a certain purpose, and Peter has faith in God's plan. And so, we can look at our government You can follow some pretty dark conspiracies and you can say, look at the things they're doing. You can look at them outside of being conspiratorial and say, look at the things they're doing. And I agree with you. There's some horrific things that are taking place, things that I would never agree with, but they are still in authority. And until it means sin in our life, we honor and we respect those people because we trust what God is doing in the world. We trust that God put them into place and that he is accomplishing his will through them. 
verse 16, we see that we have been set free and we have been set free to serve. We are called servants of God. We see that we serve God as we serve other people. We serve God as we serve within the community. We serve God as we serve other people in a local government level, on a national level. But I think there's something that we get off quite a bit. We talk about lowly Christian service a lot around here. This is what we do. This is what God has called us to be within this community, within the communities around us, within Northwest Surprise. This is where God has called us to love, serve, and reach. We meet a physical need. We meet an emotional need. And then hopefully we meet a spiritual need of the gospel because that's what everybody really needs around here. I think we can get caught up and think, oh, I am just serving everyone else. I am just being humbled and lowly because I am weak. And yes, there is a weakness, there is a meekness in serving others, but we don't serve out of being weak people. We serve out of the strength of Jesus that died on the cross for us, that had victory over sin, victory over death, and victory over the enemy who humbled himself before his disciples and humbled himself before beggars, blind people, lame people, people that were demon-possessed to heal them, to love them, to serve them. And we serve others other people out of his example. We don't serve out of weakness, church. We serve out of strength. And so as we have been set free to serve, we are servants of God and we serve God when we serve other people. Remember that you serve out of strength and it takes strength to realize that I have victory over sin. I'm going to live forever. I have victory over death. I have victory over the enemy all because of what Jesus has done in my life. And I've put my faith in that. And even still, I'm called to bow the knee, to get low, to wash feet, to serve people. That is serving out of strength, knowing where you could be and putting yourself where you shouldn't be, serving mercifully and gracefully. So use your freedom to serve. Use your freedom for good. If you are using your freedom for evil, that is not freedom. That is slavery. And so don't be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Don't go around other people to serve them, to try to boost yourself up. Don't take this newfound freedom in Christ and sin more so that you may be forgiven more. Serve other people. Fill your time with their concerns and with their needs. And then in verse 17, Peter kind of wraps it up all so beautifully. Simply put, show honor, show respect to all people. Have a special affection towards believers. Only God is to be feared and honor those that are in charge. I, uh, a divine appointment yesterday. We were on the way out to Lake Pleasant with some friends, and uh, I saw something that kind of just perfectly illustrates what we do in society. It, uh, it sh- it's a picture that shows um, how we honor one part of our government, and I'd say to the point of worship, and then how we dishonor another part of our government. Thank you so much, AV team. This is this is the Patriot Shop. You know what I'm talking about? Flags, apparel, merch, and more. Come inside and shop. That's the sketchiest shop I've ever seen in my life. I'm not going inside of nobody's trailer to buy anything. I don't care what it is. This picture pretty much perfectly sums up everything that we're talking about today. This picture basically worships one leader, just as they did back in this time as Peter is writing there was a cult called the emperor cult, and they were called to worship the emperor, worship Nero, to see him as a god, not just somebody that's been put in place by God, but a god, and to denounce the one true god. They worshiped him, and then everyone in the kingdom was called before him, 
once a year, and they were told, tell him that he is God. Tell him that you serve him. Tell him that you worship him. And this was a problem for the Christians because they did not want to sin. So they said, Jesus is my God. You are not my God. I will still honor and respect and serve under your leadership, but you will never be my God. You will never be my true king. That place is held for Jesus and Jesus alone. And so persecution ramped up. More NASCAR races were lit, sadly. What we see here is emperor worship. What we see here is a dishonoring of another emperor. Um, we are clearly lifting one side up and saying, this guy has all the answers. This guy is my political messiah. This guy is going to make my life better. If we just live under this guy's reign and worship him as king and as ruler, everything's going to work out. Well, on the other side, which is very very convenient for me. If the wind was blowing any different, I couldn't show this picture in church because there's a lot of words on here that wouldn't be appropriate for church. On the other side, you have the dishonoring of another emperor, of another king, of another president. And I would say, if we are putting all of our hope in one side, and if we are on the other side having bumper stickers with the letters A, C, D, E, F, J, or B in that bumper sticker, then there is a problem with our walks. There is a problem of where we are putting our hope. We are not called to put our hope in men. We are called to put our hope in Jesus and to follow him. First and foremost, he is our king, our only king. And we are called under that king to submit to authority, to submit to government. And so why do we do this? Why do we submit to authorities, to rulers on a national, local level? It is because our submission to authorities is not a sign of our patriotism. Our submission to authorities, to kings, to emperors, to rulers that we are under is not a sign of what flag we fly for what political party. Our submission to the government, good or bad, is a sign of our submission to King Jesus and King Jesus alone. And what Peter is saying here is, you guys are undergoing persecution. You will continue to undergo persecution. And so because of that, honor the king so that you don't stand out anymore, so that persecution doesn't get any worse. But stop at the line of sin because Jesus is your king. You follow King Jesus. All right, if I haven't offended you yet, we're probably in the clear. Point two, be good under bad bosses. We're taking this from a political level to a very personal level. Be good under bad bosses. Peter is writing uh, to the slaves and their relationship to their masters. In the Greek here, he is specifically writing to the slaves within the houses in which they worked under their masters. Now, this particular relationship really lines up to what we would see as employment. We have a boss, we are the employee, and he writes, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to be good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is, great, this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God so. Here we are. We submit to governments even when they don't deserve it. We submit to governments when they do. We submit to our bosses unconditionally outside of one condition, which is sin. If they lead well, 
you submit. If they are abysmal leaders without an ounce of leadership within their entire body, if they have never once picked up a leadership book, listened to a leadership podcast, if they are just terrible and the only reason they got the job is because they had the job longer than anyone else, I'd say I could relate. And I would also say, submit. Submit until it leads to sin. So how do we submit? How do we respect? How do we honor? As believers, we set the tone for the workplace. So many Christians have given other Christians a bad rap because we are entitled, because we think we are owed something. And I don't know where that comes from because that does not come from our king. So how do we honor in the workplace? It's pretty simple. If you didn't know these things, just write them down. This is good. Show up on time. That's a real big one. You can work hard. Work hard starting on time. Once you show up on time, work hard. As you're working hard, be competent. I'll say it again and again and again. Our biggest witness in the workplace is our competency of the job. Have genuine communication. Mean what you say. Say what you mean. There's no need to shroud it in sarcasm. There's no need to backstab. Serve with a smile and be dependable. As believers, work is our worship. Worship is our work. So how are we working under people, whether they do or don't deserve it? Now, there is also this same dichotomy of you can dishonor, you can honor, and you can worship. We're called to honor. We're not called to dishonor, especially bad bosses. We're not called to worship bad bosses or good bosses either. And so you can kind of flip the script on that same list. We're called to show up on time. We are not called as believers to sacrifice our families to climb any kind of corporate ladder. We're called to work hard. We're not called to burn out. There is a thing as health. We're called to be competent. We're not called to be self-righteous know-it-alls. And if you've worked with one, you know what I'm talking about. If you've never seen one, you might be one, so you might need to check your heart, okay? (laughs) Have genuine communication. Don't backstab people. Serve with a smile, but don't be a kiss-up. Be dependable. Don't be a pushover. Peter says this is glorious when mindful of God. It is glorious when we serve bosses graciously that don't deserve it. It is gracious. It is mindful of God, and it is mindful of God because of how he will use it. I think about the times in my life where I have been a bad boss, and there are more than I would like to admit. And I think of when the person who is serving me, the person who is working under me, even in my bad leadership, graciously works, graciously is competent, graciously shows up on time, is graciously dependable. In those moments, as a believer, with that employee under me, I have been sanctified. It has brought me closer to Jesus. But it's not always going to be the case where you have a Christian boss, whether they're leading bad or well. And when they're not a believer, the ethic in which you work with, the character in which you work with, could be the very thing that leads them to Jesus. My grandma told me a story once. I was was having some trouble being a good employee under a difficult boss. And I went to her house that night and I think I just got off work and I was just complaining. And she was kind of telling me about how she saw this play out within her workday. And it was awesome. My grandma was a special woman. 
She worked hard every single day of her life. She had the same boss for most of her life. People that needed prayer at her office would go to her. If she found out anybody was in need at her office, she would take care of those bills. If there was anything that was going on at the office that they needed somebody they could depend on, they knew they could go to Linda because Linda was going to take care of it because Linda worked hard because Linda served well and she loved even better. And one day she was called into her boss's office. I remember this. It was pretty hilarious. Her boss wasn't a Christian. He was of a different religion and held true to its traditions and principles. And he said, Linda, this is Jesus in you that makes you different. I know that because you've told me. I know because of how you love. I know it's because of how you serve. And if I wasn't a Jew, I would give my life to Jesus because of the way that you've worked here. And I look at my grandma's life and I look at the way that I have worked in different environments of how I've led. And I think, man, when people look at me, And they look at my work ethic. They look at the way I serve under bad leadership. Am I being a direct reflection of Jesus? It's not even me wanting to be like her. It's me wanting to be like him. Am I working hard? Am I serving others as a direct reflection of Jesus? We should be. Verse 20, we see that our suffering will be rewarded. Punishment for evil is deserved. Let's not get entitled and think that we should be patted on the back for enduring punishment that we have deserved in the way that we have worked, but punishment for good. Punishment for good is undeserved. Punishment for good is an act of grace. And so where we are punished for the evil that we do deserve, that destroys our testimony. But when we are punished for the good that we don't deserve. That is a testimony builder. And that is the exact thing that God can use. And so is God using you and your testimony in which you are working under hard, difficult bosses or good bosses for God to advance the gospel in your lives? Why do we submit to our bosses? Our submission is not a reflection of our loyalty to that boss. Our submission is not a reflection of our loyalty to this company. If I'm a company man or a company woman, our submission to our bosses, whether they earned it, deserve it or not, is a direct reflection of our submission to Jesus. And they should see that. Live that out. See how God uses it. Third, final point, be good as Jesus was good. Be good as Jesus was good. So good. This is our main example and reason to suffer unjustly. And this is Peter doing the same thing he was doing last week as he kind of did his Google search results for the word rock. Now he is taking this idea of Jesus as a suffering servant in the book of Isaiah in chapter 53, and he is interweaving it all throughout this scripture as he writes, For to this you have been called, because Christ is all because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Beautifully, 
put Peter. Verse 21, we see that we have been called to endure suffering well and that Jesus sets the standard for us. So we follow his standard that he set. He was without sin and without retaliation as he suffered and as he endured pain. And then he died for our sins so that we could live free. So when people look at you in trials and hard times, and as the age goes on, those will only ramp up. When they look at you, what is it that they see? Do they see a reflection of Jesus? Or do they see somebody who is struggling with a lack of joy? Do they look at you and see somebody that is distancing themselves from any help and any fellowship and any prayer around them? Distancing themselves from relationships and others. When they look at you, do they see Jesus? Or do they see a sense of despair, hopelessness, Overwhelm when they look at you, do they see whining and complaining only? Do they see somebody who is pleading for sympathy and attention? Or do they see someone who in the midst of their pain, their trials, their suffering, no matter what the circumstances, deserved or not? Good boss, bad boss, bad government, good government. Somebody that looks like Jesus. Somebody that has lowered themselves and served other people somebody that serves with joy. When they look at us, they should see Jesus. And here's the reason why. Because you are no longer lost, but you are found. The shepherd, while you were a sheep wandering in other pastures, endangering yourselves with lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, the shepherd came and got you, and he brought you back home. You were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You should have joy. You should have patience. You should have every fruit of the Spirit being kind, being patient, and enduring and long-suffering because of the shepherd that is keeping watch over your soul. And if you are struggling in the midst of trials, and if you are suffering, and you are not suffering well, then we have to ask the question, are we going to Jesus in our suffering? Am I going to Jesus in my suffering? Or am I just trying to do this in my own strength? Am I just, as people look at me suffering, I point at every other thing. Well, I have a bad boss. Well, I have a bad government. I have a bad governor. Well, the police officer did this to me, and these people treat me this way. Or are we pointing up? and saying, no, I cannot handle this pain. I cannot handle this suffering. The only thing that is getting me through this is Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the overseer of my soul, and I have put my faith, I have put my trust in him and in him alone. He is the only way that we can endure. So as we suffer, turn to the shepherd who is keeping you safe and who is overseeing, taking watch over not only what you are going through, but who is sustaining your soul through it. And all this, how is it that we are to be the church and display the kingdom as we leave from this place this week? We're to be good because Jesus was good to us. We are to embody good in an evil world. We are to embody light in a world that is dark. We are to embody salt in a world that needs flavor and needs to be preserved. Be good as Jesus was good to you. And out of the strength of his victory, 
we humbly submit ourselves in honorable, grace-filled service to others, even when they don't deserve it.